The Apostle Peter wrote in his second epistle that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. We know this catastrophe is the Genesis flood, which is described in detail in Genesis 6 through 8. More than just a natural disaster, the Bible describes the flood as God's great judgment upon mankind but also as an example of his infinite grace as he preserved Noah and his family throughout this cataclysm. Welcome to this week's broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation. This month, the Institute for Creation Research is celebrating the 50th anniversary of the book that launched the modern creation science movement, The Genesis Flood, authored by Drs. Henry Morris and John Whitcomb. During the month of February, we will be presenting a special four-part series on the Genesis Flood through a vintage audio presentation by ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris. And now, let's join Dr. Morris for part two of the Genesis Flood. You know that instead of just being one Bible story and maybe one or two other stories somewhere, there are over 200 different flood traditions around the world. Practically every uh, South American, North American tribe, practically every ancient nation, practically every South Pacific tribe, the American Indians, the African tribes, all of them have a story of the ark and of the flood, or most of them do. And furthermore, they're very similar in many cases to the biblical story. Now, they all d- diverge from it somewhat, and they're all obviously uh, mythological in a sense, but it's obvious that they're all based on an, an original fact, and the real story is given to us in the Bible. So the biblical record of the flood is supported by the recollections of primitive nations all over the world. Another interesting thing is that the, uh, that, the, that the Lord caused the ark to finally rest on Mount Ararat, or at least in that vicinity somewhere. And that was an ideal place for the family of Noah and for the animals in the ark to go out and repopulate the world because it was the, at the center of the earth's land masses. We uh, had a computer study made in, in our organization some time ago, and they made a computerized study sh- summarizing the total distances to all land segments uh, around the world from every possible point in the world. And they found that the one which would give the minimum total distance to all the other parts of the world was a location in Turkey somewhere, probably near the present city of Ankara, but rather close to Mount Ararat, it's also close to Babel and to Jerusalem. In other words, the center of focus of interest in biblical history and of the the development of mankind and the radial migrations of mankind from the ark and then later from Babel were expedited by the location at which God caused the ark to to locate when it rested finally on the Mount of Ararat instead of in South America or, or somewhere else. Well, so the story of the ark and the story of the flood and the story of Noah and his family uh, makes good sense. You can show that the calculation of the developing population of the world makes good sense if we start with Noah and his family, whereas if you start a million years ago, it makes no sense at all. There would be far too many people in the world today if uh, man is much older than the few thousand years of the biblical history from the time of the flood. But the real problems, of course, that are encountered in connection with uh, the Genesis flood are the scientific or the geological problems because our modern geological world says that there was no such thing as a worldwide flood. And they have developed the, the idea of long geological ages, totaling about 4.6 billion years of history with different ages and different forms of life in the different ages. 
as read through the rocks of the earth and the fossils that are found in them, they have developed this into what's known as the geological time scale or the geological column. And the idea of the geological column or the geological time scale is that the geological ages are recorded for us in the sedimentary rocks in the crust of the earth. And the idea is that as you go down deep into the rocks of the earth, you'll find simple forms of life that were living in very ancient times. Then as you come up towards more recent rocks, you'll find uh, more complex forms of life and finally human life at the very top. And so the thought is that as the different sediments were deposited and preserving the forms of life that lived in the different ages, building up from the bottom to the top, that we have an actual record of the evolution of life over long geological ages. Now that idea was developed especially in the early 19th century by a number of geologists, particularly by Sir Charles Lyell and James Hutton and a number of others. But the original geologists, the ones who first studied geology and first tried to organize the history of the earth, they all believed that all of these fossils and the sedimentary beds had been formed by the Great Flood. As a matter of fact, uh, the uh, idea of uniformitarianism and evolutionism, that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation, uh, was uh, never proved. And the idea of the uh, worldwide flood and creation was never disproved. It was just that people preferred to believe that way. And we believe that the actual evidence uh, really supports the original geologists who did believe the biblical record of the story of the flood and interpreted their geological history that way. And that's what the Apostle Peter suggests that the evidence is so strong that those who reject it are willfully ignorant and they do not want to believe in creation and the flood and so therefore they believe in naturalism and uniformitarianism and evolutionism and then other people followed their lead and now we have the dominance of humanism in our world today as a result. Well, what about the actual geological evidence? What does it really show in terms of the history of the, of the earth? Now, as you can see from the, the geological column, back in the Cambrian period, there's, there was supposed to be only simple marine invertebrate organisms, like sponges and starfish and brachiopods and so on. Then as you go up towards more recent time, you get to where there were fishes, and then higher up than that, amphibians, then above that, reptiles, and finally birds and mammals, and eventually man. But the significant point is that in all that record, there are no evolutionary transitional forms. And we are not going to discuss that very much here, but just to point out the fact that there are no evidences of evolution in all these billions of fossils that have been found in the geological record. Let me just give one quotation that kind of confirms that. Dr. David Kitts, professor of geology at the University of Oklahoma, is a man with whom Dr. Gish and I had a debate several years ago on the subject of creation versus evolution. So he was an evolutionist. But in the journal Evolution, which was an article which was actually written after our debate, he says this. He says, despite the bright promise that paleontology, now paleontology is simply the study of fossils, despite the bright promise that paleontology provides a means of our seeing evolution, it has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists, the most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species. Paleontology does not provide them. Darwin was concerned enough about this problem to devote a whole chapter of his Origin of Species to this. And he says that the imperfection of the geological record, the gaps in the fossil record, is because we don't have enough fossils. Literally billions of fossils have been documented, and even today there are no intermediate transitional forms between basic kinds of life in the fossils that have ever been documented. So if evolution took place, it did so without leaving any evidence of it. 
Now, there are some extinct animals, like dinosaurs maybe, and other kinds of animals that are extinct. But extinction isn't evolution. That's the opposite of evolution. That's things going out of existence, not coming into existence and building up into higher levels of existence. And the fossil record shows no evidence of evolution, whatever. Now, some people would take exception to that, and they'd say, yes, there are transitional forms in the fossils. And so we ask them what? And almost invariably, they will refer to a creature called Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx is a fossil bird. About, well, there are two good fossils that have been found and about four others that are not so good. But this is supposed to have, have, have uh, characteristics of both birds and reptiles. And so they say this proves that birds evolved from reptiles. But the fact is that it's a true bird. It had wings. It had feathers, beautifully aerodynamically designed feathers was a true bird, and its uh, characteristics at uh, slightly reptilian, like uh, teeth and claws, uh, really don't prove anything at all, except that it was an extinct bird that had teeth. Now, it was at the very most not a transitional form, but a mosaic form. Let me make a, uh, give a, a statement from Dr. Stephen Jay Gould and Niles Eldridge. These are the most prominent evolutionists today in terms of the study of evolutionary, the evolutionary mechanism that they call punctuated equilibrium. And they, what they've done, you see, is to try to explain why there are no transitional forms in the fossil record by saying that evolution took place suddenly, what they call punctuations in the normal equilibrium or stasis position of fossils. They would say that ordinarily a particular species may exist for 100,000 generations without any change, and all of a sudden a small group will change very rapidly without leaving any record of the change, and then it'll settle down for another 100,000 generations. But these punctuations in the equilibrium, they consider to be the explanation for evolution. Of course, there's no evidence of that. They're arguing not from any evidence, but from lack of evidence. Anyway, with respect to uh, Archaeopteryx, let me read you what these two very strong evolutionists say. They say, at the higher level of evolutionary transition between basic morphological designs, gradualism has always been in trouble, even though it remains the official doctrine of most Western evolutionists. And then they say, smooth intermediates between Balplana, that is, basic structural plans, are almost impossible to construct even in thought experiments. There's certainly no evidence for them in the fossil record. And then in parentheses they say, curious mosaics like Archaeopteryx do not count. So they recognize that, that Archaeopteryx is not a transitional form, but a mosaic form, by which they mean it has features of both birds and reptiles. It's a mosaic, but the features are fully functional and fully developed. They're not transitional features. You see, in order to change from a reptile to a bird, this animal has got to go through a lot of very significant changes. Obviously, its legs have to evolve into wings, and its scales have to evolve into feathers. So somewhere there ought to be intermediate animals with half scales and half feathers, or skethers, and half legs and half wings, or lings, or something like that. And the reptilian heart has to become like that of a bird and so on, so there are a lot of intermediate changes that have to take place, and none of these intermediate changes have ever been found. So uh, he says here, and I thought this was interesting, he says that it's impossible to construct these intermediates even in thought experiments. If you try to think what kind of a creature would be intermediate between a lizard and a bird of some kind in the process of evolving, you'll have to see that it wouldn't work. We ask our artists to kind of imagine what it might be like. And so he came up with this creature, which he says is the lizard evolving into a bird. Now, maybe it wasn't like that, but uh, if you can think of a better way of representing it, somehow it had to change. So here you see the scales are trying to become feathers and the leg is trying to become a wing. 
And this little uh, reptilian bird-like thing is about to evolve into a bird. Oh, it's not either because you see the lizard family out of which this is evolving isn't going to like this sport here and uh, it's not going to put up with him and they're going to try to destroy him and since he can't fly yet, he can't get away, he can't run anymore because the, <laughs> the, the wings are holding him down and so he's not able to defend himself and what's going to happen is he'll become extinct like that. And so he never would evolve into a bird at all. And the same thing is true with every other imaginary intermediate form. There is no evidence at all for evolution in the fossil record. Well, then the question would be, what is the fossil record telling us then? If it isn't teaching evolution, what is it telling us? What about all these long geological ages, 4.6 billion years of Earth history divided up into the various periods, the Cambrian and the Ordovician and the Silurian and Devonian, all these different periods, each of them hundreds of millions of years long, with the different forms of life in them. If that's not evolution, what is it? Well, we think it's a flood, but let me uh, first back up and, and ask how they know that these different ages existed. Nobody was there then to see and record what happened. How do they know that these different ages existed at all? Now celebrating over 40 years of ministry, ICR wants you to be equipped with resources that you can count on. To learn more about the Genesis flood, get your copy of this classic book through the ICR store. Call 800-628-7640 and speak to a customer service representative. Or visit our store online at www.icr.org for this and other creation science resources. And ask about your free subscription to ICR's monthly magazine, Acts and Facts, which gives you timely news on science from a biblical perspective, as well as in-depth articles on biblical apologetics creation evolution debate. Call 800-628-7640 or go online to icr.org for more information. Don't forget to mention the call letters of this station. Thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation. <laughs>